0: Previously on real
1: politics.
0: But it wasn't Browns, it was Balls!
1: <laughs> do, you, do you know who supports Norwich City, Jack? Who? Tories. I don't know, I just get the impression that Norwich City is a pretty Tory club. I have like the same
2: sentiments about both Norwich and Aston Villa, they're both Tory clubs. No comment. There were some remarks made by Tom on the last episode that have resulted in his sacking from the show. Very sad, but on the other hand, we've been looking for an excuse to push him out for a while. I heard
1: that audio tape reply that we got. Mm. Yeah, and I felt like you were
2: just playing some kind of Osama Bin Laden hostage tape. It came wrapped up in a sort of grotty parcel with somebody's little <laughs> finger in there as well, I presume Tom's.
3: This is the revolutionary Soviet caucus of Norwich City supporters, with a message for the Real Politic podcast. It has come to our attention that on your recent episode, Tom Foster called all Norwich City fans Tories. Sadly, a full and frank on-air apology from Mr. Foster, or Mr. Farron, has not been forthcoming and Mr. Foster sees fit to tar all Norwich City fans with such a brush, just because Ed Balls and Delia Smith are on the board. Sorry, Juliet. Fuck off. Kill Tom if you must.
2: (laughs) We will not capitulate to terrorist demands.
1: we'll address the fatwa first. Yeah. I'm going to retract the statement, but I'm keeping what I said about Aston Villa. Sorry. Opposing the government
4: and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left? The, well, we know who the hard left are. in are in the you know, ascendancy I, 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 within, the, within the that Labour that Party that. who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing the hard left agenda printing money nationalization without compensation that is a hard left wing position the hard left to the hard left the hard left the hard left hard hard left hard left hard left hard left the 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 hard left hard left hard left hard hard left hard left the hard left the hard left hard left the hard left the hard left the hard left it's
5: the hard is shining Star.
1: They did win the Milk Cup in IA 5. <laughs> milk. <laughs>
3: forced to form an alliance with Ed Ball's FBP mates to initiate the kind of Twitter pylon, usually only seen whenever a young female socialist has the temerity to tweet about anything. There will be odds going on about Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> taking a break from appearing on the Kaiser Report on Russia Today to go back through millions of your old tweets to News. find out who you you went to. There will be Elephant and Malteser accusing you of being controlled by Seamus Mill, <laughs> accusing him of being controlled by Vladimir Putin, accusing him of being controlled by Vladimir Inich Lenin. There will be Jimmy Bollock spaffing up your mentions with takes so stupid... That even drugstore culture would be embarrassed to publish them. <laughs> and if all that doesn't force you to repent, we'll send Raphael Bear around to kick your heads in. And his shoes aren't shaved like feet, so who knows what will happen. Viva Norwich City.
1: Be for the revolution. No kids. Yeah, I, I've got some apologising to do, evidently. <laughs> we're we start with that and then we're going to Australia and then we're going into the big juicy politics. So... Though I have a feeling some of the politics will come about in Australia.
2: Okay, so uh, let's do this then.
1: I'll let you do the honours, mate.
2: Oh, do you want to introduce the show as you've been absent for a little bit? Well, actually, you've missed one episode in the chronology yeah. of things. Yeah, I don't mind
1: if you want to introduce it, or I can do it, I don't mind, really.
2: Okay, right, hang on, I've got an idea. So, real politic listeners, you will recall how in the last officially released episode, episode 79, an RP news bulletin. Of course, we are not counting our false news episode, which was nominally a debate about Brexit but was actually a 30-second recording of Mike Gapes's milk speech. And you have the milk! So, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but you may recall how in episode 79, Yair and I announced that we had sacked Tom from the show. <laughs> well, after a protracted court battle and a financial settlement, Tom's position on the Real Politic board has been, unfortunately, reinstated and he has demanded we let him return to the show. So apologies to Juliet Jakes, who I thought had killed him, but apparently that is not the case. Raphael Bear must have got too distracted by those curiously feet-shaped shoes and not got around to actually doing the job, finishing Tom off, making us a better podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Foster.
1: Yeah, I ain't fucking walking away when the money's starting to roll in. <laughs> I'm i staying well on board. You can't get me out of this through some core battle. Uh, yes, hello, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. I have an apology. I've I never actually had to apologise on the show. I've never said anything that's so extreme before. Believe it or not, it's usually others who's coming out with absolutely ridiculous stuff, but I'm usually is- a lot more tech. Ta-
2: that is that is such
1: false news. <laughs> Honestly. But I crossed the line on my last appearance, and I would like to take the opportunity in this platform to apologise for the comments I made that offended a great friend of our show, Juliet Jakes, a Norwich City supporter who I unfairly accused the fan base of that football club of being all Tories. <laughs> Yeah. These were comments that I made with no evidence. I was not in a good mood at the time. I don't even think I said... I'm not going to labour over the exact wording, but what I said obviously upset people, and I want to apologise. I, However, I'm not going to withdraw my comments about Aston Villa. It is very much a Tory club, but I will withdraw my comments on Norwich City.
2: Tom, i got to say, you're sounding a bit shitty. My guess is that either you are coming alive from Tom Watson's secret locked drench wank bunker at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Or perhaps Juliet has still got you? Tom, Tom, tell me, all you have to do is nod. Are you being held captive by the Norwich City <laughs> Football Club Fans Revolutionary Soviet Caucus?
1: No comment. <laughs> no comment I mean, uh, it, it, how, many, how many taps for yes And how many taps for no
2: um, That's you Morse code Oh is it So what, what were we saying there
1: I was saying Help
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tom we're coming to get you Don't worry Just okay. kidding We don't negotiate with terrorists You're there <laughs> <laughs> it's just a shame it's come to this. After your sterling league, I know defense. you can't even
1: make sweeping comments about football clubs anymore without it, people it, taking offence to it. It's it's what freedom of speech is your... going out the window.
2: In your counter suits, (laughs) after we sued you for damaging the reputation of the show, and you sued us for unfairly sacking you from the show to your your financial and reputational detriment, I mean, you put forth such a good legal defense, even I have to admit it. Me and Yaya, we came out of that bruised and battered. I still think you should have sued Laura as well, just because, I mean, you sued the whole team. But you only went for me and Yaira as individuals, which I feel was slightly unfair. But I mean, you, you, <laughs> I mean, you were represented by the best in the game, Jolly and Morgan QC, fresh from his latest attempt to sue Brexit, and the star witness was second to none. I mean, you got Oid PTG, known not just for his invaluable contributions to the new lexicon for left, but also for his list of football teams, according to which is the most Tory. And he came up onto the witness stand at Jolyon's behest, and he argued the case that you tried to make on the show, I have to say, much more convincingly. The
1: problem was I didn't word it well. I made a sweeping statement that I now apologise for, and I retract the comment, and I'd like to move on. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I just because, don't know how possible because that...
1: Because the bunk I was kept in at Norwich City was not nice, okay? <laughs> was, when you're chained up and they're laughing at you and chanting Gusano, you know, it's, it's <laughs> not it's not a welcoming environment.
2: dehumanising.
1: It's a dehumanising
2: tactic that they use. Common to they, the extremes.
1: They, my, they, they, they kept saying to me, we're going to send you to Coventry. We're going to send you to Coventry. You're going to get sent to Coventry.
2: Like is you know that, is that bad? mocking
1: my team yeah, absolutely. Oh okay. mocking my team. You know, it's it's an actual saying it is sent to Coventry.
2: Really? Your yeah, team is that like... bad. That Tory. No,
1: no, no, that's the no that's that's the that's the that's the, the reputation of the city to a lot of people. You oh, know okay. sent to Coventry, yeah.
2: Well just like exiled to Coventry. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing. It's
0: the real real <laughs> It's the real, real. <laughs> It's the real, real. It's the real, real. Okay,
2: well, I mean, where did you go, Tom, in hiding? Because, of course, you did a whole kind of like Jason Bourne sort of globetrotting geopolitical thriller type episode. You kind of went halfway across the world to escape the Norwich City Football Club fans' revolutionary Soviet caucus. So I where, did, yes. Where did you go, Tom?
1: I went to Australia. I went to Australia, I went to clear my head That's, for several uh, weeks.
2: Did you pick up a lot of good racism tips while you were out there?
1: They're very oh, okay. racist, the Australians, if that doesn't come as a surprise. Of you course are... not all, Again, not all Australians. <laughs> not all Australians are not racist, Australian. of course. But I will just say, I was in Western Australia, and I came across a lot of billboards for a party called the United Australia Party.
2: Is that Bob Caffers? Party. No, no, but what?
1: it was formerly the Palmer Australian Party, or something like that, and it's another political party, just like Bob Carter, that's named after its leader Clive Palmer who's a billionaire Australian who has holdings in iron ore and coal and... uh, A real
2: industrialist.
1: Yeah, he's one of those types who really kind of boomed during the heydays of capitalism in Western Australia in the 1980s when the state was nicknamed WA Inc., you yeah.
2: know. Tom, what of these rumours that you have defected to... Uh, oh, hang on, what's it? The New South Wales right faction as uh, immortalised on Luke Aker's famous ideological correctness test.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say I've joined hand-in-hand with them, but I was aware of their... I... <laughs> you, you get the picture. But, yeah, I went to Australia and scenically, landscape-wise, beautiful country, politically terrible yeah. um i mean the australian labor party is i mean our labor party is by no means perfect it is pretty poor in places substantially but the australian labor party is really bad yeah. um long gone are the days of you know the John McTurnan. yeah <laughs> I, was, I was thinking more well, Gough
2: whitlam yeah um, okay i you, suppose
1: but, but you be be know ever. but as i already said you had you have multiple um, you
2: have the milk
1: you have the milk.
2: You have the milk.
1: And <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. because I have a, I have a milk story for you. But of course, you know, why else would I go over there? But just
2: a bit of milk spotting.
1: Just a bit of that milk spotting. You'll see what I spied in a certain town in the minute. But yeah. They won't, again, Tom.
2: It's a podcast. They won't oh, see it.
1: <laughs> well, I'll describe it through words. <laughs> okay, that's what describe podcast, it that's through po- words. That's what a podcast. Ah, but video podcasts exist.
2: They do, Vodcast, Drugstore Culture has one
1: There you go. Oh, God. God forbid we ever go down that road.
2: God forbid. No one wants to see our ugly bugs. Anyway, tell me more about Australian politics and all its glory. The milk stuff, the Australian Freedom Party, is it?
1: The United Australian Party.
2: Okay, Uh, the Australian Freedom Party is Bob Catter's party, isn't
1: it? I think it's just called the Catter Australian Party. Oh, okay. Uh,
2: His is called Catter's Australian Party.
1: Oh, okay. And then Clive Palmer's is called the United Australia Party. (laughs) and there was multiple I was trying to find the ad for it because I wanted to play the sound clip of it on our show but they had an advert that was like they took twisted sisters uh, we're not gonna take it (laughs) and they they took that song and good like Australia's not gonna take it (laughs) anymore
0: God bless Australia. God bless all of you. Let's make Australia great again.
1: Clive Palmer likes to be the big, boisterous, uh, happy larrikin in the room. He likes to be uh, really the, uh, the focus, as it were, of all the action, whether it be business or politics. Clive Palmer is using a 90s hit song as the anthem for his political rebirth. Uncle Clive wants you now to join the
0: united australia party it's free it doesn't cost a thing
1: but he remains a divisive figure especially in townsville following the collapse of his nickel refinery and they have another ad on their youtube page where it's just random people going i'm voting for united australia party i'm voting for the united australia party i'm voting
0: (laughs) i'm voting for the united australia party you should too
3: i'm voting united australia party I'm voting for the United Australia Party.
0: I'm voting United Australia Party.
3: I'm
4: voting for the United Australia Party.
0: I'm voting United Australia Party. Let's vote for United Australia Party.
4: Woo!
1: None of them explain why they're voting for them. They're just saying, I'm voting for them.
0: (laughs) Authorised by Clive Palmer for the United Australia Party, Brisbane.
1: The policies of the United Australia Party are probably what you would expect. Anti-immigration, lower taxes. You can probably imagine its platform. Very right
2: wing. Does sound like Bob Catter's... Whatever it's called, party.
1: Essentially, basically, yeah. Also, supposedly, I think Clive Palmer, one of the other members of the party, is aiming to run in Bob Catter's constituency.
2: Oh shit! So that it's going to be a battle
1: to see who's more right wing, you know? <laughs>
2: right wing populist on right wing populist violence.
1: Absolutely. We spoke about Bob Catter a few months ago because, of course, he came to the attention of everyone with he was asked about the recent passing of the same sex marriage law over in Australia, Australia and Australia, and uh, he completely ignored it and just he said some the, the lines of, he gave a politician's po- answer i would say absolutely and and basically said that <laughs> sorry but, con- but the
2: politician he, in question was mike pol- Gapes. yeah a <laughs> uh,
0: red cake with great big red cherries or a blue cake with great big
1: blue cherries <laughs> Bob bobcat was more concerned about one death every three months Compared to issues that affect millions of Australians in the LGBT community,
2: every three that months was how, that
1: was that was how lame his response was. He couldn't be honest and open about how much of a fucking horrible homophobia is. He just wanted. He just. Went, he's like, oh, a hundred thousand uh, blossoms bloom. Every three months. I'm not spending months. time on it. I'm not spending, I'm not any spending time, time on it, on it because
2: because every, cause three, every months, three months an Australian gets trampled to death by and a kangaroo. D- <laughs> You know, people are entitled to their sexual
0: proclivities, you know. I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I ain't spending any time, mate, because in the meantime, every three months, a person was torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. But I ain't spending any time, mate, because in the meantime, every three months. A person was torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. (laughs)
2: <laughs> a person has their innards ripped out by a koala.
1: To be fair, though, a fucking emu could do that. Really? I wouldn't go near a kangaroo. Never go near a kangaroo out there. I didn't go uh, have near you seen, one, but I was have just you seen warned, Wake Don't and go near them.
2: Oh, the Australian Yeah, The Australian the yeah, exploitation yeah. film. There is a yeah, brutal yeah. kangaroo murder sequence in that film. I thought it looked really unrealistic, but actually, no. They were just murdering real kangaroos. Oh, it yeah. is unsimulated kangaroo shit shooting in that leg well, <laughs> oh yeah Are
0: hey, you got a fair eye eh, doc <laughs> hey joe take a look at this it's a beauty yeah yeah you must be a seven footer for sure <laughs> Gone, dick we better cut up a few for the dogs eh?
1: saw many dead kangaroos on the side of the road <laughs> i saw many dead kangaroos on the side of the road they oh, they, wow. they are absolutely out of control they did,
2: did you kill when a dro-
1: no of course not <laughs> i would never kill a roo
2: i wouldn't go near one isn't killer roo a mighty boosh episode i tell you so, what though i don't have, like the mighty boosh they, they... i did when i was 12 okay sorry okay Tom. sorry
1: i never liked it okay. i'll get that out of there
2: cred All right nerd
1: yeah. nerd okay. shut, <laughs> um, shut up they do they do have they do have vind- they- you
2: can't Shout I'll fucking you. piss on you
1: <laughs> they do ha- we went down to Denmark down in the south not too far from Albany and they have a vindaroo pie they have a vindaroo pie
2: is that like vindaroo we- but with kangaroo in it yep <laughs> <laughs> well it does what it says on the tin oh yeah <laughs>
1: it-, it was good it was very good but yes, uh The milk? Yeah. Milk. The milk. Speaking of milk, we went through a town called I want to pronounce it properly. And as you know, if anyone's listening to this show, I can't pronounce words.
2: Chicory doodah whippity woo.
1: The town was called K-k-k-k-kowow-rum-up. <laughs> and I saw, because I travelled around with my nan my nan's great by the way, she's almost 70, a couple of years ago she went off to university she'd always wanted to go to university and she just thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go she went to university, she did aboriginal studies over there, I can't of the university she went to but
2: she Is that where they study how to oppress the aborigines? It's, it's, it's <laughs> one of the,
1: she's one of the very few people over there who actually want to actually try and remember their recent history and how fucking awful they were to aboriginal yeah. Australians. Pretty recently
2: yeah. as well, like oh. when was it they made- declared there was some fucking paedophile ring that there was absolutely no evidence of and then Uh, basically put the aborigines under martial law that was not
1: too long ago that was under the Uh, last
2: labour government i think in australia
1: and also literally they were not considered citizens until i think some time in the 1960s so before that time they were literally listed almost as Pests like kangaroos Literally people would go out and kill Aboriginals and face no repercussions For their absolutely abhorrent Treatment Mm. and I would advise anyone To go out and read that Very recent history of Australia I gotta say um, Um, John
2: Pilger has lost His touch a bit in the last few years But he did do a very good documentary About the mistreatment of Aborigines Back in 2013 called Utopia which is well worth a watch
1: Okay okay interesting but yes Milk (laughs) as I was saying yeah Milk milk. (laughs) My nan drove me through a place called Coalum. Okay, let me go on to Google Translate. I want to pronounce this.
2: What's it called? Like koala hubbing or something? It's
1: C-O-W-A-R-A M-U-P.
2: Okay. Oh, cow. So it's got
1: cow in it. up. Yeah, it's got cow in it. Okay. And you later find out why it's called ko- koal. Ko- oh fucking <laughs> koala up. It's not koala. It's ko- koala. It's
2: cow
1: Koala. Ko You go through and there's fucking cows everywhere.
2: <laughs>
1: you
0: have fields, cows that move backwards and forwards.
1: I found out why is because a couple of years ago the town actually put in over forty odd cow sculptures around the town as a tourist attraction. <laughs> And then, a few years after that, they set a Guinness World Record for the largest group of people dressed as cows. (laughs) Over 1,000 people dressed as cows, and they broke a world record for that. Everyone wearing, like, cow onesies and cow costumes.
2: Do they have a thriving... Milk industry, the German milk industry.
1: Yes, they do. No, they do that. Yes.
2: <laughs> Unlike in Waking Fright, where the locals are necking beer after beer, everyone in Koalamup is just high on cow cane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> locals, according to Wikipedia, locals from the region often refer to the town as Cowtown. <laughs> a reference to the use of cow in the town's name and its history of dairy farming. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's got a <laughs> the big a long history with that dairy farming, trust me. <laughs> So I was there and I was just like, I cannot get away from this shit, can I? I come, I come all the way over to the other side of the world to get away from this shit and I can't even get away from it over here. Because I'm uh, still tormented by cows and milk.
2: Because at work, you're just surrounded by milk, aren't you? Yeah,
1: people know I've worked in a cafe and also work in a the theatre from time to time, but yeah, when I work in the cafe and the theatre, I'm surrounded by a lot of milk, making <laughs> drinks and stuff, and I just want to get away from that, and I can't. Mom, there's milk all over the house. It's art, mum. It's art. This ever. is my life now. Fuck. So I went to... Cow <laughs> town. Cow town. Yeah, just loads of these cow sculptures all over the place.
2: Let me tell you sir, we never cow tower to your will in cow town.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, they love their cows. They respect their cows. They treat their cows with respect. Okay. The sad thing is they probably treat cows with more dignity and respect than aboriginals. They call the English pommies as well.
2: Yeah, they do indeed. So, I mean, Tom, have you got any other thoughts on on your time in exile?
1: I saw an episode of Q&A, which is the Australian equivalent of Question Time. Oh, right. It was really bad. It was somehow worse than (laughs) our Question Time.
2: With the audience full of ham-faced
1: nuke men. (laughs) Basically, yeah. They're terrified about the prospect of socialism. They think Bernie Sanders and Corbyn is... is Yeah, they think think that Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn is the pure definition of what socialism is. And then you had one of the national liberal politicians saying to one of the audience members who asked a question about the rise of left-wing populism. He said, oh, you don't need to worry. Socialism will never rear its head in this country. It's like, oh, God, you're all doomed. You're all (laughs) fucking doomed. The person who actually asked the question spoke about how his father suffered horribly... the hands of the communists in Vietnam and whatnot and I'm just like I can't I don't need to watch that. this is unbearable yeah <laughs> don't want, it's like oh yeah so the Americans and the French they were the good guys were they really okay fuck this I was done at that point well I, I
2: mean Tom if you've seen Oliver Stone's platoon you will know that actually they were and the problem was the right Americans just weren't officers and if they were all like Willem Dafoe ah, rather than Tom Berenger, then actually it would have gone pretty well. America would have won and they would have defeated the Red Menace.
4: For my money, Platoon is complete rubbish, a nasty bit of propaganda which suggests that if the poor, poor American GIs had only had better officers, they would have won the Vietnam War.
1: There you go. Vietnam solved. You actually, before we move on, you actually watched another film where it's politics, a mind-blowingly awful, Mississippi Burning, where the... <laughs> (laughs) FBI actually fight racism. They fight racism. They don't instigate it. They don't instigate it, supposedly. used to me.
2: You thought the portrayal of the police vis-a-vis race relations in the FBI specifically in Black Klansmen was problematic. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Go back to 1988, Alan Parker, uh, director of a couple of films I love, Birdie, the weird film with Nicolas Cage in the supporting role, but Matthew Modine in the lead role as some weird guy who puts birds on his dick and gets off, (laughs) 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 which is incidentally a film about the Vietnam War, and he also directed The Commitments. A soul musical set in Dublin, which I love.
1: Yeah, he also did *Angel Heart*. And yeah, uh, great
2: film. I know, good Alone.
1: film. Like if you're a kid, the essential <laughs> film yeah, to yeah. watch. That
2: he's done a lot of musical type stuff including a version of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Evita which I can't believe exists because I mean there is such a thing as left wing Peronism but the Perons themselves were you know pretty fascistic sheltered a lot of Nazi war criminals so I'm just like oh it's great that fucking arch Tory Andrew Lloyd Webber looked at the life of of this iconic uh, but very problematic figure and was just like oh she's such an icon I'll make a musical about um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The screenplay for
1: Evita was actually written by Alan Parker and Oliver Stone.
2: Well, it was substantially <laughs> rewritten from Oliver Stone's vision, which I, I think oh, would really? have had probably had slightly better politics, despite the fact I just slated Platoon. I haven't seen any version of Evita. It's just a thing I can't believe exists. But in terms of Mississippi Burning, yeah, it's terrible. Just like Gene Hackman uh, it's just like a straight-talking, a little bit racist FBI guy from the older generation and Willem Dafoe the young hip gunslinging FBI guy from a younger generation who is against racism because of course as we all know the FBI spent the civil rights years not you know bugging Martin Luther King's phone and having him murdered but yeah, uh, yeah. but actually they went down south and they got their hands dirty and they basically brought a hundred men down to fight the racists it's Just a terrible oh. film <laughs> terrible terrible terrible
1: absolutely film absolutely abhorrent
2: Yeah. <laughs> of uh, shit I really did not enjoy that at all and it served me right for just being like, uh, well, when you got movies like Willem Dafoe in them, you can't lose. Yeah, because... and you
1: soon found out that it's just an absolute yeah. a classic case of the white saviour characters a- exactly. coming in to completely ignore what African Americans did themselves, not wanting to pay any attention to what they actually contributed in their struggle. No, we have to have the white saviours come down south to sort
2: it out. It was a Absolutely. film widely criticised at the time of its release by civil rights groups and the civil Survivors of the kind of racist violence it depicts who said that it portrayed black people as kind of meek and submissive and having watched it I can't argue with that but let's not dedicate any more time to Mississippi learning yeah God. we're gonna move on to British politics because there's been various things happening first of all a couple of dispatches from Europe which I remain against. Firstly over in France friend of the show Emmanuel Macron has run into some difficulties by being a cunt pushing really unpopular policies that everyone hates and also everyone hates him. Now he has got some defenders in the film community. You will recall La N a Great 1995 social realist drama, well, heavily stylized, kind of, but still nonetheless quite realist drama, directed by Matthew Kassovich, depicting a bunch of youths living in the ghettos on the outskirts of Paris, in the suburbs of Paris, which is kind of separated from the rest of the city by planning and architecture. So a real segregation, and that's an area filled with the poor and with ethnic minorities. And it's a great very vibrant film that holds up to this day Navi Kasovic, meanwhile has taken a look at the current uprest in France from quite often in a lot of cases people who may have once been depicted in Latin and he says yes I am very happy to have a president who keeps his line who tries things while listening and acknowledging his mistakes and you did not like the tone of his voice or the position of his hands What did you want? A new Mercedes and the minimum wage at 2,500 euros, Philippe.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, that is one hell of a melt
2: right there. That's 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 terrible, (laughs) terribly melty stuff. And I will take this opportunity to say that I don't think Matthew Kasovich has directed a good film since let I think
1: the last American film he made was Babylon AD. That like, ah, uh, sounds
2: terrible The
1: Crimson with, Rivers with, is alright Vin Diesel? Okay And then he did a horror with Halle Berry What was that called? That was, Oh, Gothica uh, Isn't G-Gothica.
2: that like a, f- a famous flop? Probably Well, I mean, he's a decent actor, Kasovic. Like, he was in the last Panicky film Which, as with every other Panicky film Left me completely cold uh, But he was decent in it And I would say that his film The Crimson Rivers from 2000 Was good, if not Latin level So, okay he's a melt and he's not the artist he once was i think that's that anyway in other news the people's vote campaign has received another stirring endorsement um, from a titanic figure of the European Centre. You may recall his achievements in office such as corruption and bunga 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 parties (laughs) and he is the subject of a duo of new films by Paolo Sorrentino. Yes, Silvio Berlusconi has come out in favour of a second referendum on Britain's membership of the EU. In a tweet, Berlusconi wrote, I hope that Britain can remain within the European Union. I light a candle every night so that there can be a new referendum to stay in Europe. <laughs> he, the
1: man, he literally looks like he has rubber hair. Absolutely terrifying specimen, and he wants us to stay in the European Union. Oh my word.
2: <laughs> he has received a reply from Oliver Lord Agree. hashtag FBPE, hashtag ABTV, hashtag other hashtags that aren't showing up for me because his name's too long. Oliver Lord Agree, who, <laughs> yes, we are aware it's not a real person. He says, in Italian, presumably done via Google Translate. Thank you my good lord. You represent the reasonable and moderate policy that makes Britain feel ashamed. If you need legal advice on the divorce law in Britain, please let us know. I am able to offer you a 10% discount.
1: Oh god. He's also recently said that he's going to be running for office again soon. Has he? Isn't he like 90? He's in his early 80s but he looks like he's pushing 90. Wait, how old is he? the plastic surgery just hasn't worked
2: Silvio Berlusconi <laughs> is 82 years old alright oh, okay he's younger than I thought but he I he looks think, a lot
1: older though doesn't he yeah right?
2: if 82 year old Silvio Berlusconi can run for office then I suggest my hero and close personal friend 88 year old Clint Eastwood runs once again as mayor of his beloved local town Carmel <laughs> you better prepare in that right you
5: better not cut up no otherwise harm no horse.
0: I'll come back and kill every
1: one of you sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah, so Silvio wants a second referendum.
2: He does indeed. He's lighting a candle every night. And it's weird that it's phrased in such a way that it's kind of like, I really want a second referendum. I literally think the campaign have been in touch with him. I think Chuck yeah. has been on the blower to him. <laughs>
1: And to think this isn't the most batshit bit of news we have on this episode. It just gets more and more batshit in terms of where our news stories go. What do we have next? What's the most batshit of what we need to talk about?
2: Well, the undisputed master of the convoluted metaphor when it comes to parliamentary oratory has struck again in a dazzling speech. In which he said,
1: "Is this who I think it is?"
2: There's one about him pledging his support for elephants, but that's not
1: actually. Oh, it. I thought we were talking about a certain beast, but I know this is a whole other kind of beast here. Oh, no, this is about?
2: a real big beast of Labour politics. This
1: is this is this is more a fiend, isn't
2: it? A fiend, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Of I'd...
1: a certain white beverage.
2: Now, of course, this is an extremely online fiend who tweets shit like 24 seven. So I'm having to scroll a long way down his Twitter profile to find for quote in question but let me tell you folks it will be worth it because it was a good one
0: <laughs> uh, Mr speaker the uh, leader of the house has announced that we're going to be debating the ivory bill Donald Tusk isn't the reality that the big elephant in the room is is the statement this afternoon by the European Union Council president Donald Tusk <laughs> that not prepared to renegotiate the withdrawal agreement at all. So, isn't that the reality? It shows that this whole proceeding is a total farce. Yeah!
4: <laughs> well, in congratulating the Honourable Gentleman on a proper piece of parliamentary pantomime.
2: Here we go. Mike Gapes on Ivory Bill. Hey, I'll just listen to the clip now. Mr. Speaker, the leader of the House has announced that we're going to be debating the Ivory Bill. Isn't the reality that the big elephant in the room is. is. the statement this afternoon from the European <laughs> Union Council President, Donald Tusk? He really puts the emphasis on Tusk.
1: Just so you know that, you know, an elephant has that. You know, yeah. So you need, you need to know he is making a joke for once. It isn't just his political views inadvertently <laughs> he, just bollocks and jokish as they are. But you know he's actually attempting humour. You know.
2: Wait, he ain't finished. He ain't finished. He's still going? That the European Union is not prepared to renegotiate the withdrawal agreement at all. So isn't that the reality? That shows that this whole proceeding is a total farce. There you go, so I already got the elephant in the room bit in. You got all of it, you got
1: every gaping aspect of it (laughs) in there.
2: Good, because I was literally just yelling along to the video of Mike Gapes, like a second behind him. Like he said a (laughs) word and then I repeated it, so it was like I was translating. Yeah, so Gapes has been pretty busy, the diligent parliamentarian that he is, what else has he done? (laughs) Today a Gapes tweet was liked by none other than Paul Mason. Which is inexplicable, because it was the same pedestrian centrist shite that Gapes always tweets when he isn't ranting about milk, cake or elephants. Ah, well, you know Paul. (laughs) Unreliable, I would say.
1: Uh, Um, That's the start of it, yeah.
2: (laughs) Right, this is what Mason liked. Can you pass what was so appealing to Paul Mason about this tweet? Paul Mason liked. Mike Gapes. Reflections after last night. May deal will not get majority. Norway plus or Canada would also fail. Big danger of no deal crash out. Unless May or Corbyn support people's vote, it will also fail. Parliament must, in those circumstances, instruct government to revoke Article 50. So And, and,
1: and he and, and Paul Mason for that warranted a like.
2: Yeah, <laughs> pretty baffling. But I got something caught in my throat. What was and, it, milk? <laughs> yeah, just clogged up.
0: You will not be able to eat that milk.
2: <laughs> all, all that, all or just wash day.
1: it down with more milk.
2: Yeah, that's, that's very true.
1: And Mike also appeared on a list he that did. came out the other day. As
2: yeah. uh, Gilbert and Sullivan once wrote, I've got a little list. I've got a little list of the biggest cunts in the PLP. There's people with. Bu- See, I only know the rewritten version that Eric Idle did when he was in uh, production of the Mikado, because I was very into Monty Python. So I was like, oh, Eric Idle's in this, and he sings a funny song where he uses a rude word in like one line. So I bought it on DVD and was just fucking baffled. Like, I do not get this. Opera business at all It is Anyway Yes we have got a little list Courtesy of Annie Hatley On Twitter At AnnieJ092 She says These are the nerds In our party Who voted against Legalising cannabis Yesterday It got forgotten In the Brexit Hoo-ha Indeed It's a shame That all the Brexit Discourse Means that Nobody alerted me to this crucial debate taking place in parliament much to my chagrin Um, so who
1: is on this list i believe a good comrade of ours pointed out that this list is people who we've spoken about a lot on the show so people who you're going to hear some very familiar names on this list
2: yeah so let's start from the top actually let's start from the top but leave one till last well actually no you already said gapes is on the list Alright, never mind so at the top of the list you've got neil coyle the mp for bermondsey who somehow manages to be among the most disreputable people to ever represent the constituency of bermondsey a uh (laughs) once described by our podcast as a conquer headed cunt once described by a genuinely senior Labour source as a Westminster-centric bell end who needs to wind his neck in. <laughs> Just an absolute shit house. but as John Lansman tweeted at him, I will be forever grateful to you, Neil, for nominating Jeremy Corbyn for the leadership in
1: 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on there. Who else is on the list? No. Oh, of course, of course he's on there. Yeah, it you know, turns out mel- Melting away, you know, he's yeah, trying you know, mil- he to...
2: Milk Plus is enough inebriation for GAPES. No need for such things as cannabis. Who else? Next up, you've got the DUPs, wait, I mean Labour's Kate Hoey, who (laughs) apparently the Blairites in her constituency haven't deselected her yet. As I say, they're welcome to her. Please normalise deselection. Next up, speaking of imminent deselections, you've got Mr Chris Leslie. Three of them on the list have titles before their names, so you have Mr Chris Leslie here. Um, Tosser Next you've got the guy who <laughs> claimed That Corbyn threatened to call his dad Oh A, a, McGinn. a Sinn Féin counsellor Who he sort of suggested Corbyn knew because they used to be in the IRA Together uh, on him <laughs> That's old Conor McGinn isn't it Connor McGinn exactly Connor McGinn Connor yes, McGinn, Conor, Conor, McGinn, McGinn, <laughs> Conor, McGinn yeah. Conor McGinn apparently still going His dad did not plant a bomb in his house By the sounds of it at Corbyn's behest Next up, you've got Ian Murray, who was for a time Labour's only MP in Scotland, and now is not, and for that reason is thoroughly unexceptional. (laughs) Next up, you have Religious Extremist, who I can't call a homophobe because he would pursue legal action against me. Mr. Gavin Shooker. There you go. <laughs> Another one of the Arch Blairites who was rumoured to be defecting to a new party earlier this year. Then you have a big beast of the old right. You know, a man who was once famously described as somewhat to the right of Senator Joseph McCarthy. The right honourable John Speller. And then, of course, finally, we have the biggest nerd in the game, really, Chukaramuna. Of course. Of yeah course. <laughs> taking a break out of maxing and chillaxing and, <laughs> and editing his own wikipedia page guys to uh, vote against a basic liberal drug policy supported by most people ostensibly to his right in his beloved united states so <laughs> yeah you know. nine pretty bad nerds there
1: they know how to win over the votes don't they yeah <laughs> damn right
2: wankers a lot of them even you mike we could have been beautiful man what happened
1: to you i know i know i mean i knew mike was a wanker before but this just cements that fucking hell mike (laughs) fuck you Just to serve away from sensible drug laws in this country but hey ho we carry on we will not give up that aim we have but in other news another beast was brought up in parliament the other day by an snp mp oh and he was very unapologetic because the mp who stood up to speak was stuart Macdonald.
2: Yeah, Um, who is the SNP defence spokesman in
1: West Yeah, he he certainly went on the defence. And he um, is
2: a right-wing cunt. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know if you saw his reaction to the story that a state-sponsored charity was propagating anti-labor, Corbyn's a Russian spy kind of attack lines. Um, Oh, God, really? But it was basically like, Oh, Labour's swallowing the Russian propaganda hook, line and sinker. Like, you'd expect it from, like, (laughs) Hillary Clinton or some fucking hawk wanker from the United States, not from the party that try and position themselves as to the left of... Well, they did try and position themselves to the left of the Labour Party. Fuck knows what they stand for now, apart from... Well, I seem to be another sort of anti-Brexit protest group in the context of our politics, at least, just like the Green Party.
1: Yeah. Well, Dennis Skinner, called. him a
2: piece
1: of shit yeah <laughs> called him a piece of shit and Stuart McDonald gave him several opportunities to apologize to him and of course dennis was just like fuck you no so he brought it up in parliament and mentioned it and i think john burkow was just like and i just remind us all to not call each other pieces of shit please <laughs> he didn't say that exactly but you, you know you know what I'm saying. <laughs> actually he actually, actually
2: actually he did say that he said exactly those words he
1: said those exact words we're a reputable media podcast
4: Mr Speaker, thank you very much. I'm reluctant to raise this point of order having spoken to you about it at the side of the chair earlier. During proceedings earlier, I said to my colleague that I wish the Leader of the Opposition would answer a question. It then prompted the honorable gentleman from Bolsover to turn around to me and call me a piece of shit. Uh, Mr Speaker, he then went on to defend that, telling, telling, a journalist, telling a journalist that he was just putting me in my place.
1: And a Stuart McDonald MP tweeted, a new parliamentary habit seems to be forming whereby any time an SNP MP sat behind Dennis Skinner verbalises any frustration about what Jeremy Corbyn says, he angrily turns around to tell us off. He has just turned around and called me a piece of shit. <laughs> and then he just ends the tweet by going, he has become a thug.
0: <laughs> Straight thug. Uh, and it feels so good. Uh, and it feels so right.
2: Uh. I saw a really, really funny video of him standing up in Parliament and whining yeah. to John Burkow like yeah. Do you really think it's acceptable for the member for Bolsover to call me a piece of shit? I'm like, yeah. And then someone dug up a Stuart McDonald tweet from 2013 where he's like Oh, forgive me for not Crying any tears over a politician being called a piece of shit. (laughs)
1: There you go then double standards. But the whole time in the video when they cut over to Dennis, he's just sat there. He's not even looking at Stuart McDonald. He's just got his arms crossed. He just doesn't care.
2: Well, the SNP shouldn't keep trying to steal Dennis's seat. Not Bolsover. I don't think the SNP are running in Bolsover due to it not being in Scotland. But yeah. they keep trying to steal his literal seat that he sits on in Parliament. they got no respect these fuckers. The only arcane parliamentary tradition I support is that Dennis Skinner gets to sit in his fucking seat if he Wants to. (laughs) So, yeah, these awful SMP Blairites, they've got to be stopped. But at the same time, Apparently Stuart Macdonald did unseat Tom Harris, one of the worst Blairites there is, who, yeah, was one of the most obnoxious Scottish Labour people. Basically a Tory. Oh, he's basically a Tory. Yeah, now he writes for the Telegraph, with views that are Telegraph-type views. So, Stuart Macdonald, Tom Harris, pick your poison. (laughs) Christ. So what else have we got then? we kind of were recording tonight because there was the no confidence vote against Theresa May. But I feel like it was very underwhelming and I'm already bored by it.
1: Yeah, she won the vote. 200 came out in her favour and 117 voted with no confidence in her.
2: Now that's still uh, not great for her.
1: Yeah, I know, yeah. But it's, it's a huge it's given her, Exactly. So it just shows you that the party is essentially tearing itself apart. And she's yeah. gonna be leading it on for at least another year or so. Yeah, well um, I mean she
2: can quit anytime she fucking wants. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. she doesn't have to leave. Something is obviously. No, I'm more telling than her. happy
1: to stay for her as leader. They watch the party continue to tear itself apart. I'm more than happy for them. I think that's probably the best case right now. Just let them continue to tear into one another because yeah. they had their Christmas party at the HQ the <laughs> other on the night of the vote as well, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And even who are the two MPs? This was on Sky News. Oh, one of them was
2: uh, Charlie Elfwick, wasn't it? I
1: think so. And the other guy was James Cleverley and another Tory MP they're being interviewed one after another on sky news and they cannot bear to look at each other they can't bear to talk or communicate because obviously they're on different positions on whether may I should stay or not but the hatred yeah one, of, know, one, that, one of them
2: just walks off he's just like yeah exactly. i mean I, to be, I don't blame i couldn't stand next to james cleverly as well but yeah. um, <laughs>
4: i'm going to talk to your colleague now at james cleverly he's a conservative mp he's a vice chair of the conservative party i gather that you don't necessarily want to talk to each other so if you need to go no i, never, or, I, are I you know. Are happy to
0: I'll, I'll, I'll go. That's fine.
4: OK. All right. Mrs Cleverley, do, do, do join us. Good morning to you. You can step in if you like. Yeah,
0: fine. I'm happy to.
4: Um, so how do you regard colleagues like Andrew Bridgen?
2: Well, uh, I've known Andrew uh, for many
3: years. I like him a lot. I'm
2: told that according to, well, I don't know, some Tory cunt, Alex Wickham, I think, <laughs> at the CCHQ Christmas party following May's triumphant, only 117 of her MPs think that she's not fit to lead their party. Was
1: it Sobri or Leedsome who came out and said, I'm embarrassed to be a Conservative? I mean, says she shit like right that every day,
2: know, yeah, yeah. I mean, she should be. She should be deeply ashamed. But, no, apparently at the party, according to Alex Wickham or some, come. They were all singing O oh, Theresa May to the tune of Oh Jeremy Corbyn and I for one think it's excellent that Jack White was such a prescient songwriter that he was able to sit down in 2002 and write such a stirring tribute to then obscure Labour backbencher Jeremy Corbyn he foresaw what many did not exactly that's more than you can say for Britain's commentariat they can't even write about what's coming
1: the next week accurately they can't (laughs) foresee the next week month or year Jack White
2: he's a a soothsayer.
1: most of them not all of them but the good majority of them yeah see i'm very careful with my wording now i'm not saying all i'm saying most
2: <laughs> just making sure georgie and does not get hurt by your sweeping statement about the press yes. i see it. Yes. <laughs> anyway <laughs> but yeah it was a pretty resounding let's say 117 of theresa may's mps do not think that she is fit to lead their party If it comes to a vote of no confidence in the government put forward by the Labour Party, which I do not think the last few days have been the right time to do, as it would have created a sense of unity in the Conservative Party, then in that case, those supportive of a vote of no confidence in the government can make the case that if Theresa May is not fit to lead the Conservative Party, then how is she fit to lead the country? I know some people are saying, but didn't Jeremy Corbyn have 80% of his MPs have a no-confidence motion in him. Well, the key distinction there is that that was a load of bullshit. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) the thing was that it doesn't actually have any kind of constitutional value in the Labour rule book. It was just a ceremonial thing that the MPs wanted to do to bully him because they were hoping that he'd break down and cry if they said enough mean things about him to his face at a loud volume while all banging on things. It didn't happen. Corbyn weathered the storm and he... Then won a leadership challenge among the Labour membership absolutely decisively and would have won it even more decisively had the then right wing dominated NEC National Executive Committee not rigged it in numerous ways to Owen Smith's advantage. Not that it did it much good in the end. That's not what you can say for Theresa May who does not command the support of the grassroots conservative supporters, as small a group as that is, they're an important group in a way, if they do actually give them any say in anything,
1: so... Most of them are pining for a fucking Neville Chamberlain cosplayer in the form of fucking Jacob Rees-Mogg, for fuck's sake.
2: Yeah, so there was a vote in No Confidence in Theresa May, the fucking Coalition of Chaos, the Green Party, Anna Soubry you know all the worthless labor backbenchers they all got together vince cable of course uncle vince as i said on twitter the other day genuinely a worse leader of his party than the gay frogs bloke they all got together and they were saying in the days in the run-up to the no confidence vote we need to do a no confidence vote in the government as i said it was a terrible idea they were somehow hoping that a vote of no confidence The government would win it, and then the Tory government would get to stay on, but they would be pressed somehow into calling a second referendum. I don't quite understand how it's supposed to work either, but that was apparently their logic. I've got to say, isn't it sad what's happened to the Green Party? Well... It's not that I, sad. Got, yeah. I, I'm not crying any tears. I mean,
1: well, yeah, I, I mean, it's gone from a point where I was like, ah, you know, an ineffectual party, but fair play to just being, wow, you are all literally useless. When when them. Labour's become somewhat viable to vote for, they've just gone the other way. Hang and out which, and sugar. Then, well,
2: Caroline Lucas was on the right side of the war on terror, so she shared all the platforms with Corbyn and with and now Donald she's Donald. seemingly
1: wanting to just undermine anything that's coming out of the Labour Party. Well what I'm saying is
2: she presumably is smart enough to realise that she's doing something seriously wrong when she gets a ringing endorsement from the architect of the War on Terror, Alistair Campbell. Or or from Arch Cheerleader of the War on Terror Nick Cohen. I think Caroline Lucas is a smart political operator. I think she kind of knows what she's doing, and what she's doing is absolutely fucking terrible, and I despise it <laughs> on every level. There's a great quote someone dug up from 2011 of her saying that the EU is fundamentally not functioning as it should, and that's the thing. I have my doubts about Remain and Reform because they never quite elaborate what the reform would entail or how it would be feasible. Yeah,
1: i am not sold on the viability of Remain remain on reform at all, really. If anyone can put me into the direction of any interesting documents or articles that explain how if we were to have this second referendum and end up ending up remaining and having to negotiate with Europe on how it needs to fundamentally reform a lot of how it operates, please show me, but I'm yet to see that.
2: I really don't see it. I really don't see
1: the potential of a serious remain and reform option with the European Union.
2: So I'd say the most objectionable tactic that Theresa May pulled yesterday was that she reinstated the Tory whip to two MPs suspended from the party for sexual misconduct. This is what I thought you were talking about earlier. When you were talking about the two MPs who were on TV together this was what I thought you were talking about. That's why I mentioned Charlie Elphick.
1: I have heard about May basically bringing back into the fold Is it two MPs who've been accused of sexual assault, is it?
2: Andrew Griffiths accused of sexual harassment. Charlie Elphick is an accused rapist. Fucking hell. So she she literally, yeah, brought an accused rapist for the foreseeable future back on the Tory benches. Because they're that desperate. These are some seriously sleazy guys. You should be
1: welcome back into that kind of...
2: Absolutely not. at
1: all, you know, where there are a lot of vulnerable people and it's just quite dangerous, actually. It shows you how low they're fucking willing to stoop, but then again, it's got to a point where I'm really not shocked by them doing that, really, because no. it's got to such a fucking low, to be honest. But there we go, folks.
2: Politics of 2018. I think there's only one more thing on my list of notes that we haven't mentioned yet. What is it? Something to do with a mace. The mace. Somebody um picked up a can of mace in Parliament and fucking pepper sprayed Philip Hammond <laughs> on his on his creepy face. No, <laughs> his creepy face. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it is a creepy face. That mace all over his face. It's a very creepy face. <laughs> in face reality, the mace is some absurd parliamentary ritual. They have a fucking mace for some reason. It's just
1: utter pompous tradition bollocks
2: yeah I, yeah it doesn't like and, some, some little yeah. nerd in a fucking waistcoat carry it around and tap it against the door of parliament at the start yeah, of the session it, or something yeah that's, yeah
1: it's bollocks like that that's the and the thing he is cares. when that got lifted the other day when the labor mp the, the rising labor... star
2: lloyd russell moyle
1: <laughs> no the double-barreled name yeah yeah
2: in fact he's a, a comrade a brother of mine who uh, courageously spoke out recently on his hiv diagnosis which he's been living with for a few years now Um, oh okay he did a video for the labor party in which he was very very open about it so a a rising star as i say and lord russell moyle is great he's great on foreign policy he's written great articles for the london review of books about limiting arms sales to countries that abuse human rights such as saudi arabia (laughs) and there was more anger shown at him there from the fucking bowtie wankers
1: on the conservative side, and probably some of us from the Labour side as well, I would not be surprised. Yeah. Um, More anger at that.
2: Lloyd, Russell, what are you doing? Put that back. I have never picked up the mace. They showed
1: more anger and contempt at that than anything that's been subjected against any of (laughs) the working classes in our country (laughs) who get affected by the economic policies put forward by the current government and previous government. If any you could show that level of passion to ordinary people in my country. But no, no, we've got to save this anger and contempt for when someone picks up a little rod in Parliament and just removes it from its platform. Did I you hear that, that
2: fucking nerd going? It. No, no, no! Did you hear like a few people going, ban him, ban him, ban him? <laughs> Something along such those nerds. lines. There's such little grasses. <laughs> <laughs> To thee. Uh, These would have been the people like when I was ten, the one year I went to some awful Christian school in Surrey. Um <laughs> <laughs> we were in the catchment area. My family have never been Christian.
1: Was it Church of England? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I went yeah, so I went to not, a junior school that was Church of no, England. Yeah. Not the one true faith, I'm afraid. The one where Henry the wanted to divorce one of his wives and <laughs> yeah. the Catholic Church went, Nope, and he went, Alright. Bye. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That that (laughs) church.
2: Not the famous church popularised by the hit Paolo Sorrentino, Jude Law starring HBO series The Young Pope, the sequel to which The New Pope is apparently in production starring Sharon Stone, John Malkovich, and once again... You, law anyway what what the fuck <laughs> was i actually saying yeah basically i was in the queue for the end of break and i was like swearing my head off as i did when i was 10 because i was like oh these words are so good but how do people not use these words more often and then some little nerd was like he
5: said shit
2: and <laughs> i got i got in trouble still it wasn't as bad as uh, oh. at the same junior school we got some we got these boring fucking not like textbooks but sort of test books they were pretty like, exam style. I guess for 10 11 year olds anyway I just like defaced it and like drew dicks on all the skeletons in it and stuff uh, and uh, just and then the teacher asked to see it one day and I literally hadn't done any work in it I'd just done obscene <laughs> cartoons all over it and uh, they took me off and they gave me a good talking to and I think they, they, I think they let me off without any severe repercussions <laughs> Jack. Jack, if you keep
1: drawing these phallic images, you're going to hell.
2: I've got one more story about me when I was ten, actually, at St Mary's school. Okay. Yeah, basically, the London bombings happened... (laughs) <laughs> it's always a good start. Oh, uh, the, way <laughs> the,
1: way, the way you introduced it, it was uh, basically the London bombings. Don't, yeah.
2: and, uh, know, it, don't all it, great it, stories it, start it, with the London that, bombings. That, yeah, the London bombings. Perhaps the Jesus. wildest thing that 10-year-old me was responsible for. No, basically <laughs> oh. what happened was the London bombings happened. I knew that they were going on. It was lunchtime. Someone had told people of the class what had happened. And I became really worried because I've got some family in London. And I was Should- like, what if like my auntie was on one of the buses or whatever so i started freaking out and i was like okay who's responsible for terrorist attacks on britain i thought about it and i was like ah yes western foreign policy so what i did was i wrote kill george bush on a piece of paper and still and started marching around school (laughs) chanting kill george bush and tony blair (laughs) Which, if anything, I would say was the formative moment of my political development and turned me into the person I am today. Even though I was deeply ashamed of it for years following that, I now realise that my political analysis at the age of
1: 10 was on point. I'm glad that we have a platform where you can come on and you can confess that. I'm glad you got off your chest.
2: Do you not think I was in the right? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Did you think I was going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm afraid you walking around with a piece of paper written down with that. Sorry, I'm afraid the sensible centrist in me cannot support you in that. But dare I ask you where you were on 9-11?
2: I was marching around <laughs> with a piece of paper saying uh, th- the West brought this on themselves.
1: <laughs> this was in the primary school, the odd was it.
2: Hey, a bit of news. Roxy Music had been inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Melts.
4: Induct
1: Depeche Mode now. Forget <laughs> Brian Ferry and these freeloaders.
2: Shut up! Don't don't be insulting Brian Ferry. We already had a whole section of gapes condemning him for being a Nazi in the last episode. He literally is a Nazi. He,
1: oh, sorry. He loves the imagery and iconography of Nazi Germany. Yeah, no.
2: apparently he has a home studio called the Führer Bunker. But you know, oh, the judgment's out. No. <laughs> He's one of those
1: guys. who's Like, I didn't like what the Nazis did, but you gotta admit, Christ, there's a this right now. <laughs>
2: I just wanted to say. So, what have we got coming up on the show?
1: We have an interview. You and Yair did an episode on Dewey Cox. Yes, That's we did.
2: With Roof um, Access, my boy.
1: You've also done an interview with a writer
2: on populism, Anton Jaeger. Yep, that'll probably come out before this does but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that episode out there.
1: And there's probably some other material floating around I'd imagine. Yes, me and uh, Yair
2: have 120 minutes of raw material about Paul Schrader well, okay, uh, it's not that huh. raw, I've edited it extensively it was more like 3 hours of material on Paul Schrader and it's an hour and 20 minutes, not 120 minutes and that'll be pretty good and the thing was but we forgot some film, so we actually recorded did even more stuff about Paul Schrader and a conversation where we discuss numerous films including one starring Willem Defoe and the late period work of Nicolas Cage.
1: I will say though What? Um I will say though uh that, that
2: you can that, have um, the milk
1: I have the milk, but I saw some films on the plane. Yeah. I finally got around to watching that fucking reboot of the Predator series, The Predator, directed by Shane Black. Oh! Good lord, is it pretty poor? Didn't like it at all, really. Yeah, Shane Black is an interesting, you know, but I just thought it was very, let me just say that it didn't help the cut I watched, because I flew on Qatar Airways, so there was definitely some censorship of some of the dialogue. Oh, really? And because, of course, the screenplay is by Shane Black and Fred Decker, the language at times is very colourful. So let me just say that it was very funny listening to some of the edits in the film Because it's like if anyone who listens to the show has watched reels of really funny TV edits Like Die Hard 2 is a great example where it was shown on TV once And some of the edits are just absolutely hilarious There's of course the classic Samuel L. Jackson snakes on a plane One where they edit it to going I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane Random edits like that in this, instead of saying Jesus Christ, every time someone says Jesus Christ, it's cheese and rice. <laughs>
2: cheese and rice. It... Oh, the one I would think of is that they re the Big Lebowski for TV. You know, this yeah. is what you get when you fuck a stranger in the yeah. ass. They re- <laughs> change that into, when you find a stranger in the Alps.
3: <laughs> this is what happens, Larry. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? This is what happens. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens, Larry? This
1: is what happens when you feed a scrambled eggs. This is what happens, Larry. This is how it happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Exactly. <laughs> As you can imagine, a colorful chain black script just completely edited by Katari censorship. There's also a character in the film, the kid of the lead, who has a form of autism, Asperger's Syndrome, and he can hack alien software, because that's how Asperger's Syndrome works, you know. I don't know if you knew that, Jack, but there we go. I mean, there was an attempt to sort of make the rag-team of guys who have to face off against the Predator more interesting than what you've had before. There's something that just didn't feel right with me about this new Predator film. Shit! Yeah. I tell you what I watched. I didn't watch it on the plane. I watched it over there. I watched Creed Two where you finally get to find out what happened to the Melt Menshevik Ivan Drago. Ah. Yeah, he basically lives
2: in this really run down part of Ukraine now, training his son to fight Adonis Creed. That's depressing, isn't it, how the giants of the Soviet Union kind of either took the capitalist coin and became oligarchs or gangsters or they kind of fell into obscurity. It, it's funny.
1: It's funny you say that because the wife of Ivan Drago who's played by Bridget Nielsen she's left Ivan because he melted and she's now one of the oligarchs.
2: <laughs> that's brilliant that's so good yeah. yeah I was wondering how Russian society has played in it but like I say we've, we're Concrete over... and dreary. we're over an hour and a half now so I think we should bring it to a close. In terms of what I've watched I enjoyed right. right. yeah. Laura Poitras's Risk, her documentary about Julian Assange. There's a lot of stuff to say about this but all I will say for now is that Lady Gaga interviewing Julian Assange is possibly the strangest thing I've ever seen. I re Sam Peckinpah's Bring Me The Head Of Alfredo Garcia and then the animated short Bring Me The Head Of Charlie Brown made by a future Simpsons animator in the 80s in which, uh, I mean, you can kind of guess like it's like Charlie Brown and friends brutally murdering people, Sam Peckinpah style. And finally, the final thing I'll name is I watched The Dick Tracy special which is a half hour special Warren Beatty made for television in 2009 you could say in a way continuing the story of his 1990 magnum opus Dick Tracy mm-hmm. based on the iconic comic strip detective in the Dick Tracy special the film critic Leonard Maltin sits down with Warren Beatty in character as Dick Tracy in a suit that looks Way too big for him. It looks like old man Beatty is vanishing into the trademark yellow suit. They just sit down together and they talk about Dick Tracy's legacy as if Warren Beatty actually is fictional character dick tracy
1: what compelled warren Beatty to
2: make that i will tell you it was because he was going to lose the film rights to dick tracy and he needed to make (laughs) some kind of dick tracy related product in order to hold on to the rights and he did that and who knows if 80 something year old warren Beatty will come out with dick tracy 2 any day now because it has been (laughs) Nine years since the Dick Tracy special, and although Beatty has directed his first film since the classic Bullworth in 1998, rules don't apply, which look boring as fuck, so I didn't watch it, there has been no sign of Dick Tracy 2, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> that sounds a lot like Roger Corman, where he had the rights to the Fantastic Four and he was about to lose them so he just threw together he found a filmmaker and was like here's a million dollars go make a fantastic board <laughs> film like make it somewhat passable and the production quality is absolutely shocking because there's only one million dollars behind it <laughs> but the heart is there and well, it's like fair play to them they give it their all but yeah. <laughs> it's just it looks awful
2: <laughs> okay well thanks comrades you've been listening to a real politic political shit talk fest one of the classics that we've got to do so that we're able to make episodes about obscure films we like <laughs> yeah exactly
1: we gotta talk about milk and then it keeps the money coming in and <laughs> then we can do our more personal stuff
2: yeah exactly uh, it's like what spielberg does one for me one for them You know what I mean? He'll do Munich and then War of the Worlds, or he'll do The Post and then Ready Player One, kind of like side by side. And one of them's about stuff he cares about, and one of them, he's just making that money. Now, I think Spielberg... (laughs) Didn't Spielberg say he, like, enjoys every film he watches? So I have no doubt that he thinks his shit films are worth watching. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yes, the moral of the story is we are Steven Spielberg. We are.
1: We are Spielberg as a podcast. Yeah. So there we have it. From Thanks a very jet
2: Yeah. From a very
1: jet Tom and Jack. hmm We bid you farewell. Have a lovely evening and have a Merry Christmas if this is gonna be the last episode before or after Christmas. Um, yeah, ho
2: ho ho. Hopefully it won't be, but yeah. Ho, 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 hopefully. yeah hopefully.
1: <laughs> we'll try and we'll try and get a little mini Christmas episode out.
3: Yeah,
2: we should pick some movies to review that are somewhat Christmassy. I think I could like get all of yeah. you to watch The Ice Harvest, finally, which I've been recommending mm-hmm. for years. Harold Ramus mm-hmm. The Ice Harvest.
1: I think we'll definitely have to do that. We don't need to talk about Die Hard, Die Hard. Everyone knows Die Hard's a Christmas film.
2: I am so bored by that discussion. I genuinely don't give a fuck if Die Hard is a Christmas film or not. Just accept that it
1: is <laughs> and move on.
2: <laughs> Whatever, sure. Thanks, everyone. This has been Real yippee ki <laughs>
5: It's too dark to blunt
0: It's young people, it's crowdsourcing.